Around 340 BC, Aristotle wrote a book called Meteorologica. In the book, he identified terms like clouds, rain, snow, wind, and hail. The Greeks were one of the first known civilizations to observe and document an interest in meteorology. They relied upon their senses to help them better understand how the atmosphere was operating. Fast forward 2,000 years and my phone is sending me notifications that it's going to start raining at my location in 17 minutes. This week we are going off the radar and back in time to understand the origins of meteorology. And just as meteorology has evolved over centuries of study, the National Weather Desk has seen its own growth and innovation over the past year. Meteorologist Matt Ritter and I will have a look back at the moments that defined our first year on the air and our hopes for the future of weather forecasting and communication. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hello, hello, everyone. Meteorologist Emily Gracie here, and I'm not alone today. I have meteorologist Matt Ritter. Matt, thanks for coming on. You're never really alone, Emily. <laughs> I'm just We're talking to myself, I feel like, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We don't work in the same building, but um, it feels like I'm right. there most of the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's talk about the National Weather Desk, Matt, because we have been on the air for a year. I know you and I have both been working here for more than a year, but we started this show a year ago, and it is a one-year anniversary, and it feels like it's been decades. We've covered so much weather-wise. It's been a very busy year. You know, we, we started this project because um, we thought there was there was a desire, there was a need, uh, there was a demand for a weather operation that was focusing again on the wow of weather, and not just the forecast, and not just doom and gloom, but, you know, all the, all the positive aspects of weather. We thought there was a need to reemphasize all that. Uh, but as it turns out, we did have a lot of, yeah, it turns out we did have a lot of big weather events over the past year that we, you know, we still had to cover them because they were happening. Yeah, we kind of started with a bang, too. If you think back oh. to a year ago, Hurricane Ian was making landfall our very first week our, on the our air. Our very first day of this new project, Category 5 hurricane heading for Western Florida. And a personal friend of mine right in the crosshairs of the probable uh, track in Fort Myers. So that was a very busy day to use understatement as a literary device. 
And it was kind of fun that we were figuring things out. You know, I think your role and my role with the National Weather Desk is ever evolving. I, the, our director of content, Jay Mishkin, was like, hey, Emily, um, you're in Charleston. How about you go out and shoot a, an ES live with your cell phone? And I did. And, you know, I, I learned a lot kind of working with the equipment that I had on hand. But it's uh, it really is. We're like a scrappy group of people just putting together what we love. Exactly. But a lot of uh, a lot of much bigger a lot of bigger organizations have to do the same thing right now, too, with multimedia journalists and, and what have you. So a lot of organizations are on the same page when it comes to the technology. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thinking outside the box, always beneficial. You know, it's funny because we um, we take content from all of our meteorologists. We have 200 meteorologists across the country. And, you know, they're really great about sending us stuff. And they um, last year seemed like the fall foliage pictures came in oh. full force, and we got so many explanations <laughs> about about the chlorophyll. And exactly after the <laughs> after the hurricane, uh, the next big story was a little bit in a little bit of a quiet period was the changing colors, and so a lot of our meteorologists across Sinclair were eager to share their media about why the, the why the leaves change. We, we sure did. Yes. Every day, a different meteorologist told us about how how and right. why the leaves change. And it's funny, we're starting to get those in now. I feel like the other theme of last fall was asparagus clouds. Do you feel like we had a massive amount of intake of asparagus cloud pictures? I think we did. And I think the, you know, the, the weather setup across the country was was causing them. So, yes, we had a lot of photo opportunities. I mean, if the weather is doing certain things in many places, then, you know, in theory, we're going to get a lot more content like that. And and that was another one of those those words, uh, 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 depending on how there's two different ways to pronounce it. But yeah, right. We all of a sudden we had a lot of pictures to show and we had a lot of interest in what those things were. And it's a new term. So, you know, I'm always learning. You're always learning. Like sometimes I have to look stuff up because there are new weather terms kind of popping up on a daily basis. Right. Well, some of this isn't for a long time, but they don't get out of the meteorological jargon. This literally was a, a new term. When was it only 10 years ago? Yeah, it was pretty recent. I actually I did an interview with the Cloud Appreciation Society yeah. about it because I think they're the ones that kind of got the, the ball rolling that, yeah, with that. Uh, that actually was a new term, not just a yeah. term that was new to the public. Right. Which, um, speaking of, um, I want to talk about atmospheric rivers and the Pineapple Express, because that's one of them that that's a term that's been around forever. And they, right. And that is a term that's been around forever, but it didn't get out. Yeah. It didn't get out of meteorological jargon uh, until the past couple of years. Uh, but that coincided last year with a lot of them, um, just with the West, West Coast being just bombarded every two, three days with another system that had an atmospheric river associated with it. Yeah, I feel like California had like a, a huge year. I mean, between the atmospheric rivers just getting pounded one right after another, and then they're getting snow right around what was that January? Uh, February. They're getting February. Yeah, it was, yes, snow February. in California. Uh, San, the National Weather Service office in San Diego issuing their first ever blizzard warnings. Right for the for the mountains, and so we made a you know we made a big deal about that because that was a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Some of the, some of those some of those people who work that office may never have to issue a blizzard warning again. Yeah, and you know we'll talk about other firsts for uh, LA coming up, but I want to go into kind of severe weather too, and you know some of these tornadoes that popped up. It, I feel like every year we say this, like, is there more tornadoes happening earlier every year? And it, it does seem to be the trend. But the one that stands out to me is the Little Rock tornado, and I I remember. Was it, it was an afternoon and I feel like you and I were the only two working and suddenly we're getting 
all of this coming out of our Little Rock station. And then we see the video. We were watching their coverage of it, their wall-to-wall storm coverage of it live. Um, and uh, we were recording it and we were you know, passing along things. I was working my radar image and I was trying to you know, share on social media radar images of the storm as it was happening while simultaneously listening to our Little Rock uh, meteorologist covering it. At least, yeah. that, I mean, that was in tornado season. I mean, we, we covered a yeah. lot of tornadoes, but uh, down the Gulf Coast, I mean, winter, early spring, that is their season. No matter how many, no matter how many they get, that is when they happen. And, you know, and we have, um, you know, our storm chaser, Brett Adair was out mm-hmm. there too. And he captured some amazing footage of it. And uh, I mean, I think just the time of day too, like the visuals on that really stand out to me. Yeah. Um, and then moving forward into the spring and the summer, uh, you know, we really wildfire smoke, visibility, poor visibility, health impacts. Um, the Canadian wildfires really had an impact on the U.S. this year. They really did. I mean, how often does that happen? Not very often with the jet stream winds uh, transporting them all the way to the mid-Atlantic and all the way down almost to the southeast coast. And then the smoke making it all the way down to the ground level, too. I mean, there's how many times, you know, I'm, I'm here in Northern Virginia. How many times this uh, this past summer did I step out the door and it just smelled like campfires were everywhere? Yeah, even in the southeast and then even in places like Colorado, like the Western Canadian wildfires were impacting the Western United States in places that they've never seen that happen before, too. Yeah, so the wildfires are definitely a huge weather story. Uh, of the past year and 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 the photos that we got from everywhere of the sunsets and the moonrises and the moonsets at least at least those things produce you know some great optics and pretty it's a shame that some of the prettiest pictures that we get in meteorology are associated with with bad weather terrible it's a, weather it's a terrible, death it's and a ter- destruction it's a terrible yeah. irony it really is i know um so and then you know going back to california i want to talk about Western hurricanes, because this is another one that I feel like was a a big new thing this year, Pacific hurricanes and Hurricane Hillary, and they've got hurricane warnings happening on the West Coast. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this Eastern Pacific hurricanes are a dime a dozen. They they form all the time off the Western coast of Mexico and they move westward and they die a horrible, painful death as soon as they hit the cold waters uh, of the Pacific. Uh, But when they turn north, they don't usually stay intact and move towards uh, Baja and California, and Hillary did, and uh, brought some flooding. Luckily, the the flooding impact was not as bad as it really should have been, um, but it brought a lot of beneficial rainfall to a lot of you know severe drought areas in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. That was unusual, absolutely. And then um, you know, uh, a lovely hurricane that nobody could really seem to get the name right on was Idalia, and that one stands out to me as well. Of course, I names always seem to get people. I realize I, I realize why I kept mispronouncing it because of Adalia, Georgia. <laughs> what oh. one letter difference? <laughs> I figured it out. So my go-to with trying to figure out how to say hurricane names is to not look at them, but rather to just pull up the. There's usually a pronouncer that somebody will do and just listening to it. So if I can listen to it said correctly, I can repeat it. Uh, and and you know, a couple of years ago, Isaias, I just yes. finally got it right through practice. Lots of yeah. practice. Yeah, it's funny. I um, My daughter at the time was two years old and she was saying it correctly. So I posted a video of her saying it correctly on Twitter and I had several 
veteran meteorologists reach out to me and tell me that that was their go-to for remembering how to say Isaias. Your daughter daughter saved the business. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about the show today because um, kind of in honor of thinking about historical events of the past year of the National Weather Desk, I interviewed a woman who was amazing to talk about the origins of meteorology and the history there. And we're talking going back thousands of years, not just one year. But Dr. Christine Harper from Florida State University, she's a historian and a meteorologist. So she's kind of got the best of both worlds here. And she was so knowledgeable. I didn't know. I know you knew, right? You kind of knew like the history of like Aristotle and the the first weather observations happening. But I guess I just didn't dig that too far into the history prior to talking to Dr. Harper. I had a very, very, um, very superficial, very basic knowledge that the, the term basically comes from the ancient Greek. Meteor basically means anything falling from the sky. So our science started out as studying things falling from the sky, no matter what they were. Yeah, it was interesting talking to her because the focus historically was very much on observing. And I guess the reason I don't know much about the history was because we're forecasters. We look to the future. We want to know what's next. We're supposed to be learning from the past. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. From looking at what's already happened, from looking at the sky, from just stepping outside. So it's good to get back to those basics of of meteorology. Cool. All right. So we're going to listen into my interview here with Dr. Christine Harper. Matt, congratulations on a great first year with the National Weather Desk. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, Ben, right back at you and to all our colleagues as well. Absolutely. All right, now let's learn some weather history with Dr. Christine Harper. Uh, Dr. Christine Harper, I'm so glad I found you in my Google search because you're the exact person I want to talk to about this. (laughs) You are a scientist, you are a historian, and I want to go back to the very beginning of meteorology, way back to Aristotle. Can you tell me about the roots of meteorology and how the science began? Well, of course, at the time of Aristotle, um, meteorology was a sort of an all-term catch-all for Earth science. So, so Aristotle was not a person who did experiments, but he was a person who observed. And and of course, uh, if you're looking at uh, ships that are sailing, which they were certainly around uh, Athens uh, on the water, then then. Winds become important, for instance, right? So there was considerable interest in how the atmosphere worked and what that meant for being able to uh, grow crops or sail sail vessels or those those kinds of things. So you do see that early interest um, in what was going on uh, on around in in the atmosphere, but it certainly wasn't a situation where people were. Um, making daily or hourly recordings and uh, had any kind of scales to work with. So it was uh, it was very qualitative work that was being done. And he came up with the term meteorology? Right. Well, because it was, uh, you know, and then, it, like I said, it wasn't just focused on the atmosphere at that point. I mean, it was, it included earthquakes and volcanoes and everything else that was kind of earth science at the time. And did it have any sort of spiritual relevance as well? I wouldn't say that it did for Aristotle. I would say certainly that earlier on, you know, at the time of the Babylonians, uh, you know, atmospheric uh, phenomenon, um, thunderstorms and uh, severe weather uh, would have uh, because people were, 
we're living out in it, uh, right? And so if you're if you're living in a situation where you're very much affected uh, by the weather around you, then you get tuned in to looking for signs in the sky, and and the weather was really tied to um, astronomy. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, I mean, not to the technical parts of astronomy, but where the stars were in the sky at night and where the sun was rising and setting and connecting those events to what the typical weather was at the time for seasons and therefore knowing when to plant crops and when it was going to be time to harvest them. Right. I did an interview not so long ago about the Egyptian tomb and um, that lines up to the the winter solstice. I found that fascinating. That's really old. <laughs> that is really old. And, and you see that in other places around the world. Okay, so there's also um, there's also a place in Ireland. Uh, of course, we're we're later in time now. Of course, from from the Egyptians, um, but it is the same thing. It's this big earthen works, and if you climb in and you don't want to be a person who um, doesn't like enclosed spaces, all right, because it's really tight in there. Uh, but you can go inside, and then. When it is um, when it is the solstice, the sun goes directly in uh, into this slot. So I mean, it was built that way for a reason, and the, so the sun came right through. I thought it was very very cool. Uh, one other person who was on the on the on the tour was claustrophobic and had to get out of there uh, very very quickly. But um, it was it was cool to see. Wow! So take me a forward in time a little bit here. How did meteorology evolve from that point? Well, it didn't evolve really fast. Um, let's put it that way. So we don't see um, the ability to take measurements of any kind until much later. So we have Galileo's thermometer, which basically worked by having different glass balls with different kinds of substances in them that would float up and down depending on what the temperature was. You can you can still buy those today. They're they're a higher class than the one that that Galileo had. And then later on um, in the in the 17th century, we're seeing um, originally um, uh, mercury thermometers being developed, and later on we see alcohol thermometers being developed. But still, you have to have a scale. And so we see later on the development of, of scales that are used so that people can take actual measurements, things like um, anemometers for doing wind speed. That really doesn't come up until the 19th century, and those were kind of shaky for a while. We don't have good aneroid barometers until later in the 19th century. And so it takes, it takes you know, a several centuries before we have the equipment to be able to do quantitative measurements. But earlier than that, um, in the time of Francis Bacon, for instance, you have, he's encouraging people to make note of the kinds of weather events that they see. And so you have people in diaries recording, we had rain, it was windy, it was blowing from this direction, um, it was a cloudy day, it was an okay day. Many of them were farmers, and it was really important for them to keep track of what what the weather was and then what they did with that. And so um, over time, we have more physics that's involved, but we don't really see physics involved in meteorology on a scientific level until early part of the 20th century. Yeah, so I'm guessing technology really fast-forwarded things, correct? 
Well, it it did, um, but it was still difficult to get upper level measurements, right? So so you had you had surface observations, but until until we had good uh, balloons initially, balloons and then kites, and we had equipment that didn't freeze up once it got to upper levels, right? So I mean, the the first experiments that were looking at taking measurements at the upper levels, they went up in balloons. And the um, fluid that they were using in the thermometers froze, <laughs> uh, right? Because it was it was so cold. So at first, you see people in balloons, literally in manned uh, manned space flights, um, and then you see the use of kites. And then, of course, once aircraft were available, then people were going up in aircraft. But again, we're not talking about enclosed cockpits, so. So people were getting pretty chilly uh, going up there, and and we didn't have really good ways to do that. Not until like the 1930s when we see the development of the first radio sons. Okay, so packets of uh, uh, instruments that could go up with a large balloon and then go up much further than people had gone up before. And then the invention of satellites completely changed things. Completely changed things in the late 1950s. And at that point, we're really looking at pictures being taken. And those first pictures were not all of that good, right? Uh, let's, let's face it. They were, they were grainy. It's not like you're taking a picture and then you can see the little lines on the earth between the, the countries on the continents, right? I mean, that all had to be overlaid and they would take multiple little pictures and they would put them together as mosaics. And even by the early 70s, when I first got into the meteorology business, we only had two satellite pictures a day. They were from polar orbiters. And if the it, and if the background couldn't be overlaid properly, we didn't have anything. I mean, we had something that sort of looked like an x-ray with shadow parts and dark parts. And we had no idea where it was. Uh, we didn't know. You know, like there was nothing there. It was just like, well, we got this satellite picture, but where is this hurricane? Where is it? <laughs> they have no idea where it is. Uh, so it was it was really hard to make use of that. It took a long time um, for satellite pictures to be so good that you could use them for something, and and it took a lot of time to uh, get people to buy into using them because you can't use something that's not good. I mean. Today we we can get on on the internet and anytime we can get a full disk, we can get goes, we can we can have them automatically loop so that we can see things going across the screen. They're clear, they're crisp, the background is there, everything's there. Maybe you can overlay it with radar. We didn't have anything that was close to that early on. Not even in the early 70s did we have that. So you've seen a lot of advancement in your time since the huge 70s. amount of advancement. Yes. years. That's a lot of advancement. What's been the most impressive and surprising advancement to you? I think there have been a couple of things. I think the improvements in weather radar have been huge. Uh, so the first time I was able to use Doppler weather radar was in starting in 1992, and I was stationed at the NATO base in Iceland um, at Keflavik. And we had Doppler weather radar, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, it was, I, the weather can be really dicey in, in Iceland. And here we have planes that are trying to leave and planes that were trying to come in. 
And it was just great being able to see these little cells coming towards us and, and being able to say to pilots, you have 15 minutes to get out of here or you're not going anywhere for a while. So make your decision about what you want to do. So the improvements in weather radar have been tremendous. Um, and on satellites, it's not only the pictures, but it's all of the sensors that are on the satellites now so that you can track rain rates, you can track sea surface temperature, you can track sea heights, right? All of those sensors that are that are being hung around on, on the satellites now give us information for parts of the earth where we don't have people standing there saying, yep, I'm going to go out and take my observation now um, There because there aren't any people to do that. And so you just, uh, you can't overstate um, the importance of satellites for bringing in all that data. And then the improvement of models, uh, forecasting models, and the size of computers that can process all of that data. Those things together have made a huge difference in, in how we're able to forecast the weather. With all of those advancements and everything that can be done inside, is there still something to be learned from history and walking outside and, and looking at clouds and taking note of what you feel and see? Personally, I still think having a feel for the weather is really important. You know, over time, uh, in some sectors, we've seen a pulling back to, to big centers um, that are forecasting for places far away because they're saying, well, you know, we're not there, but like we've got all the information. And there's nothing like being there, huh? right? Because what shows up on your weather map and what shows up on the satellite is still not the same as being able to walk out the door or look out the window and say, okay, well, I know what the model says, but that's not what I'm seeing out there right now. And that's where the problem comes in. You, Once you lived someplace for a while, you have a much better sense of what the weather patterns are, how the atmosphere behaves in that particular area, uh, what the little microclimate issues are for, for what's going on there. I mean, it still makes a, it still makes a big difference. So personally, I really like being on site because it, it makes a difference how you interpret uh, what you see once you've lived someplace for a while. So you're saying local meteorologists are important. That's great to hear. <laughs> Super important as far as I'm concerned. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the future of meteorology. What do you see for the future? What are you excited about for the future? I think we'll see more incorporation of kind of citizen science data where there will be sensors on everything. And so particularly on people's cell phones. And I realize there are real privacy issues here. But just like uh, cell phone data is used to determine when there are traffic jams on roads, I think there will be the possibility of using that same information, uh, maybe telling us about um, uh, pressure tendencies, maybe telling us about temperature tendencies, maybe telling us how people are behaving during periods when it is really wet or it's really dry. And, and also using that same technology, our trusty cell phones with all of their power in our computer power in our pocket, to be able to get information out to people to keep them safe. And using better communication skills to get the weather story out to people. Because it's not enough to get the information out. We have to get better at 
getting information back so that we know that the connection's been made and we're not doing this. We told them, <laughs> we told them the weather was going to be bad. And these folks saying, yeah, I heard something about it, but you know, I didn't think that applied to me. And people die when we don't make that connection. Um, and it's and so I think it's there's more um, more opportunity for us in the future to be able to do better kind of instantaneous two way communication so that people can get that information in, know what it means, and then take appropriate action to keep them and uh, themselves and their and their families safe. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning. If you know a weather or history buff, please share this episode with them. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let me know what you think of the show. Give me some ideas for future episodes while you're there. Special thanks to Matt Ritter for joining me on this episode and for Dr. Christine Harper for participating. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.